Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In order for Rebecca to effectively pray, she needed first to come in contact with God. That's the first essential of prayer. Come in contact with God. Second essential, she needed to abide with God. And the third essential is she needed to work with God. See, those are the three essentials for any of us to effectively pray. See, in order for Rebecca or anyone to effectively pray, she needed to come in contact with God. A person must come in contact with God. Contact with God requires three things. There are three requirements for contact with God. The first requirement to have contact with God is there must be a revelation of God. God wants to have contact with man through prayer so that he can reveal himself. See, Rebecca had already seen God reveal himself in the testimony of Eliezer who came to get her. When she learned of the mightiness of God to lead him and her together at the well and all that God caused to happen with the, with the water uh, camels and so forth, and she knew that she was God's chosen for Isaac's wife. And she saw the mightiness of God. Rebecca had seen God reveal himself when he answered Isaac's prayer for her infertility and when he spoke directly to her about the two nations in her womb. All this showed to Rebecca that God was wanting to reveal himself of who he was so that he could have contact or she could have contact with him. And prayer is made possible by only one ultimate revelation of God, as it says about the Lord Jesus Christ in John 1.18, where it says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Or as the Greek says it, he hath told him out. See, no man has seen God at any time. No man can come in direct contact with God. Only the Lord Jesus Christ has declared or told out who God is. Therefore, today, there's only one way for man to have God revealed to him, and that's by the Lord Jesus Christ, by God the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. And John 14, 9, he that hath seen me has seen the Father. In order to have contact with God, there must be a revelation of God, and only the Lord Jesus Christ reveals God, which means no one can come in contact with God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he meant when he said in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. But revelation of God is not enough for there to be contact with God. They need the second essential, And the second essential to have contact with God is there's got to be a relationship with God. There must be an established relationship between man and God. And this established relationship is the relationship of a father and a son. There must be a father-son relationship. The establishment of this father-son relationship, that's through a birth. Not a physical birth, a spiritual birth. Because through a spiritual birth, this father-son relationship is established. 
as it says in John 1, 12-13. As many as received him, to them gave you the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Step one, believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three parts to his name. The Lord, he is God. Jesus, which means, it's a contraction of two words, God saves. It must be believed that he is God-saving man. Christ, which means anointed or sent from God. It must be believed that he was sent by God. God sent God to save man. So to believe on his name is to believe that, that God sent God to save man from their sins. That's step one. Step two, believing is not enough. Step two is receiving receiving him personally, which means to open the heart and to receive him as God sent by God to save man from his sins. In other words, to receive him as personal Lord and Savior. And step three is not what we do. It's what God does. It's becoming a child of God. We do steps one and two of believing and receiving. God does step three of making us to become a child of God, which links us to God as our Father. And that fulfills the second requirement of the establishment of the father-son relationship. That's when we can say with Paul in Romans 8.15, we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This relationship was the pattern in Abraham's family, and we have no reason to believe that Rebekah had not put her trust for forgiveness of sins, and had joined with Adam and Eve and and with Abel and all the other believers and putting their trust in Jehovah Jesus by making blood sacrifices. Now, revelation was the first essential for contact with God. Revelation alone is not enough to have contact with God in prayer. Relationship through the new birth was the second essential for contact with God, but both revelation of God and relationship with God, they're both alone not enough to have contact with God through prayer. In other words, those first and second essentials put a person in the position of the possibility of having contact with God in prayer. The third and the last essential for having contact with God is necessary, and that is dependence on God. See, dependence on God is trusting God and not trusting self. Dependence on God is relying on God and not relying on self. My father was an English major before he became a doctor. He was an English major. And so he loved literature, and he could quote all these things. You know, I can never quote anything, but he quoted all these things to me all the time. They hoped that it would sink in by osmosis. And he always told me, all you need is to to rely on yourself. And he used to quote to me from the most famous line in Shakespeare's play, Hamlet, where Polonius says, neither a borrower nor a lender be to thine own self be true. And my father always used to like to quote from Ralph Walder Emerson, probably because I went to Emerson Junior High School, I don't know. But anyway, and he quoted from the essay, Self-Reliance, where Emerson said, discontent is the want of self-reliance. It's the infirmity of the will. And what Emerson said, so the reliance on property, including the reliance on governments which protect it, is the want of self-reliance. The third essential to have contact with God is to repudiate and not follow Shakespeare and Emerson because God tells us, don't rely on yourself in Romans 7, 23 through 24, where Paul says, I see another law in myself, in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, 
Who can deliver me? Who should deliver me from this body, from the body of this death? And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Instead of trusting itself, instead of relying on self, instead of being to thine own self be true, be true to God. And trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine understanding. All thy ways, acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. And Paul put it, he says, you know, self, is that so great? He says, I'll tell you what self is for me in Galatians 2.20. My self is crucified with Christ. And nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, by the, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Today we can say, and rose for me. So the first purpose that God intended for Rebecca in prayer was that, that she should have contact with God. And the three essentials for contact with God, as we've said, is the revelation of who God is, the becoming a child of God through the new birth, and dependence on God. And it was in this last essential that Rebecca was not willing to do. She didn't meet that last essential. She wasn't willing to rely on God. And when we see Rebecca, a child of God, to whom God had revealed himself, and when we see her fail to have contact with God because she would not depend on God, that's a warning light to us. Now, the first purpose of prayer is to have contact with God, for which we need, as we said, revelation, and we need to become a child of God, and we need to be dependent on God. That's the first purpose of prayer is to have contact with God. The second purpose of prayer is to be with God continually. It's another way of expressing to be together with God. You know, it was his name. You should call his name Jesus. No, no, that's not what it is. You should call his name Emmanuel, because, meaning God with us, our togetherness with God. Now, to be together with God, or, as he puts it, to abide with God, to have communion with God, to abide with God. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he described this purpose in John 15, 4, when he said, abide in me and I in you. In other words, he was saying, we're not just to have momentary contacts with God. We're not just to have contact with God when we're in trouble. You know, our contact with God is not like the Red Crisis phone. You know, we pick up in trouble and out of breath, and we say, God, it's me again. I'm in trouble again. I need your help. And then I'll be going. (laughs) See, in John 15, the Lord Jesus Christ was saying, we're not to live, don't live like that. He says, but you stay in constant contact. Keep that phone off the hook all the time. Talk to me with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is, that's what it means to abide in him. And that's what it meant when he said, abide in me in John 15, 4. But he didn't just say abide in me, because he, the wonderful part is that he has a second statement there in John 15, 4, where he says, abide in me, and I in you. So he's saying that we stay in contact, constant contact by abiding with him, and he stays in constant contact with us by, by being with us. And that's wonderful. Now, what do we do when we abide in Christ? What activities are we involved in? What does it mean to abide in Christ? What do we do if we're abiding in Christ? Well, what, what are the activities that we do when we're in constant contact with God? First of all, there is the abiding of adoration. There's the abiding of Abiding in Christ means that we say to God, te adoro, I adore you. See? Those words, te adoro, are part of love songs. But, but the words te adoro should never be said to flesh and blood. The words te adoro should only be say, said to God. King David taught us how to te adoro God when he said in 1 Chronicles 16, 29, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. See, people ask today, are you religious? Or, or, or I love this one, what religion are you? you know? And this raises the question, what is religion? What is true religion? 
True religion is adoration of God. That's what true religion is. It's rejoicing in God simply because of who he is. Easter is adoration with God, adoration of God. Easter is looking at an empty tomb and saying, that was my hero that rose from that that tomb, rose from the dead. It's looking at an empty tomb and saying, that was my captain who broke through death to rise for me. It's adoration. Easter is adoration. So the first activity in abiding in Christ is adoration. When we hear a person who is in authentic adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're praying with that person that the Lord Jesus becomes so real as we have our eyes closed that we're going to keep our hands like that. We're not going to put our hands out because we might touch God. That's what it means. Adoration makes us go into a cloud where we're just transported away into a world and we just get lost in this world of praise, which is what the hymn, When All Thy Mercies, expresses when it says, When all thy mercies, O my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with the view, I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise. That's adoration. This is the first activity to abide in Christ is adoration, to adore. The second activity to abide in Christ is to confess. See, to abide in Christ is to be in the presence of God. And something happens, we're in the presence of God. And Peter and Job and Isaiah talked about what happens when we're in the presence of God. And Peter put it this way when he was in the presence of God in Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Job put it, when he was in the presence of God in Job 42, 5 through 6, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And when Isaiah was in the presence of God in Isaiah 6, 5, he said, Then said I, Woe is me, I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. To be in the presence of God is to feel our own sinfulness. To be in the presence of God is to say with Peter, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. To be in the presence of God is to say with Job, I abhor myself and repent. To be in the presence of God is to say with Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. So our second activity when we abide in Christ is to confess our sins, daily habit. That to just to know that constant forgiveness, constant cleansing, all throughout the day. First John 1, 8 through 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first activity of abiding in Christ is to adore. The second activity of abiding in Christ is to confess. The third activity to abide in Christ is to meditate. Meditation is the listening side of prayer. I'm not meditating now as I'm speaking to you. (laughs) I'm talking, right? Meditation is the side of prayer where we're like the cows that go into the lush green pastures and they just masticate. They slowly... You ever watch a cow? It's kind of interesting. You know, he just, he just chews and chews and chews. He doesn't eat like I eat. You know, he, just, he masticates and then he brings it up from one of those stomachs and masticates it again. He's extracting I don't know. There's a lot of stuff to extract in green grass. Don't ask me, but the cow knows. Meditation takes the Word of God from being dry, and it makes it our delight. Meditation transforms the Word of God from being dull, boring, and dry to being the delight of our souls. That's what meditation does. See, Psalm 1-2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate. 
day and night. How does the delight, how does the law of God become his delight? Because he's meditating in it day and night. See? Psalm 119, 92, unless thy law had been my delights, should have perished in my affliction. Romans 7, 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Psalm 104, 34, my meditation of him shall be sweet. I'll be glad in the Lord. Psalm 119, 97, oh, how love I thy law. It's my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Psalm 119, 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that's written. I've been thinking about going to Disneyland, you know, I haven't stopped thinking about Disneyland, you know, I keep thinking about Disneyland, I don't know, with my grandkids, remember I told you. And and I was thinking about walking through Disneyland and passing all the entrances to those rides, like Alice in Wonderland, you know, and the Wild Toad Ride, I like those rides. And, And I was imagining, I was imagining how as I walked by those entrances to those rides, that it was as if each of those entrances, as if each of those rides was calling out to me. And it was saying, come in here, sit down in the car, take the ride. Be carried into a different world of adventures. Especially nice to go with your grandkids. They really, you know, oh, oh, you know, that's nice. And, and I was thinking about how reading the Word of God is like passing by those entrances to those different rides. And each verse, each word is calling out to us, come over here. Sit down, come in. Let me carry you into a different world of adventures. See, that was my goal in putting together the Friendship with God Study Bible, where verses have, you know, it took us a couple of years, all those references down the center for deep searching that carry you. They'll carry you. You start going, they'll carry you from one verse to another verse. And where English words are identified of what the Hebrew root word was. And where the places where that same Hebrew word, root word is used throughout the Bible. See those references, those Hebrew word, word, root words? They're like calling out. They're like the calling out the entrances of the Disneyland rides. Come in. Go for an advent. Go into my adventure. Don't just walk by. Come into this adventure of discovery. That's meditation. See, that's what it means to meditate on the very words that God used. It's the meditation on the very words that God used that's described in Job 23.12 when he says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's what God told Jewish people in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 8.3, He humbled thee, suffered thee to hunger, fed thee with manna. You didn't know. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, like a big discovery, and I did eat them. Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. I'm called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. See, when Jeremiah said thy words were found, he's expressing to us the excitement of discovering the meaning. Well, look at that meaning of that word. Look at that word. That very word, like finding a hid treasure. So, the fourth activity in abiding in Christ is now to ask the Lord Jesus Christ, as he told us in Matthew 7, 7, ask 
it shall be given unto you, given to you. See, God already has our answers. They're all wrapped up, ready to go, ready to send to us. He's just waiting for us to just ask him, like a child. Simple language, like we talked about, you know, the boy in France, father out of work for three years. God gives the father a job when the boy stood up in the prayer meeting and said, God, if you don't give my dad a job, we're going to starve to death. See, that's what God wants. One time there was a group of just very simple uh, older Christian men at a prayer meeting in uh, England. And, and a man from London came to their prayer meeting. And he, and he was dressed in his very impressive London business suit. And he listened you know, to the men praying. And he thought, you know, I have to teach these fellows a thing or two about prayer. They don't really know how to pray. So he, he waited for a pause. And then he just launched off into this long, eloquent prayer. You know? And one of the Christian men was sitting there. And he, he'd had about enough. And he waited for the man to take a pause. And then he blurted out, Call him Father Mon and ask him something. See, that's what God wants. Just call him Father and ask him something. So, so far we've seen the four activities of abiding in Christ, which are to adore, to confess, to meditate, to ask. Fifth activity in abiding in Christ is to give thanks. See, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The Lord Jesus Christ does not want to look at us and say from Luke 17, 13 through 18, why are you part of the nine that didn't turn around and give thanks? He wants, to look, he wants us to be like the one leper who in, in John 15 through 16, it says he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. So that's the second purpose of prayer, to abide in Christ. So, and the five activities of abiding in Christ, to adore, to confess, to meditate, to ask, to give thanks. The last purpose in prayer is to work with God, to work with God. It is to do what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine: take my yoke upon you. See, there's a difference between working for God and working with God. When Rebekah stopped Isaac from blessing Esau and caused him by deceit to bless Jacob, Rebekah was working for God, but she was not working with God because God does not work by deceit and lying. See, working with God is to align ourselves with goals of God and the ways of God. And the tragedy, as we said in the chapter, is that she doesn't pray. So, but she didn't work with God. We work with God when we pray. See, we work with God when we pray. We work with God when we pray for sinners. He told us to do that in 1 Timothy 2.1. He said, I exhort therefore, and first of all, supplication, prayer, sinner sessions, giving of thanks to be made for all men. See, this is 1 Timothy 2, 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. And as Paul prayed for sinners in Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So we work with God when we pray for sinners. We work with God when we pray for saints. As it says in Ephesians six eighteen. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Prayer for saints. What do we pray for for saints? Pray for their spiritual growth. What else do we pray for? Pray that they will overcome temptation. What else do we pray for? Pray that they'll hear God speak to them. What else do we pray for? Pray that they'll obey God. We work with God when we pray for sinners. We work with God when we pray for saints. We work with God when we pray for Satan's power to be bound. In Matthew 16, 19, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Mark 3.27, No man can enter a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he'll spoil his goods. So, summary. The great tragedy 
in Genesis 27 is that it does not contain anything like we saw Rebecca do in Genesis 25, 22. She went to inquire of the Lord. Because she did that, she missed the three purposes of prayer, which, are, which is to have contact with God through revelation of God, through the new birth, and through dependence on God, which was to abide in Christ by adoring God, confessing sins to God, meditating on God, asking God, and giving thanks to God. And she missed out on working with God by praying for sinners like Esau, by praying for saints like Isaac, and by praying for problems like blessing the wrong son. So we look at all this and the change from Rebecca from Genesis 25 to 27, and that's a real warning for us, and we should vow to never lean to our own understanding. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, and help us, Lord, to take it in and to tuck it away and to bring it out continually to meditate in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.